Here at Steady State Podcast, we are really interested in backstories, the experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. By sharing stories about the humanity of our sport, we're revealing a narrative about rowing culture that celebrates real life experience from launch to cox seat at every level. We're Tara Morgan and Rachel Friedman. And this is Steady State Podcast. <laughs> See you ready. <laughs> so thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode with Isaiah Harrison, the 2022 U.S. Rowing U23 National Team Male Athlete of the Year. Born and raised in Idaho, Isaiah started erging and setting indoor records when he was just 12. At 14, he made the transition from the erg to a single coached by his dad. Today, the six foot nine, 19 year old holds 35 indoor rowing world records across multiple age groups. Independent of a scholastic program, he's climbed the ladder to the U23 national team and has his sights on Paris 2024. If you missed it, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast or anywhere you get podcasts. This episode is made possible in part by Concept2, Lake Washington Rowing Club, and our newest sponsor, Breakwater Realty in Portland, Maine. Become a sponsor for as little as $65 at steadystatenetwork.com slash sponsors. Every year, the Concept2 Holiday Challenge raises thousands of dollars to donate to charity. Row and give at concept2.com. This episode is made possible in part by Lake Washington Rowing Club, the oldest rowing club in Seattle with a rich history and a long legacy of teaching the art of rowing. Find out more at lakewashingtonrowing.com. On this episode, we talk with Liz Winter, a Three Rivers Rowing Association member, working to make our sport more inclusive in many ways. When she learned to row in the late 1970s, Liz was excited to have a place to be unladylike. She fell in love with putting power behind the oar and moving boats fast. After landing in Pittsburgh in the 80s, Liz was involved in the development of Three Rivers Rowing Association, focusing on creating community. Now retired, she's combined her professional experiences as a lawyer, social worker, coach, and educator with a U.S. Rowing Level 3 High Performance Coaching Certification. We talk with her about coaching education, trauma-informed coaching, and building trust. Thanks for joining us. Oh, well, thank you so much for, for the invitation. I've been um, enjoying having things cut from, from you come from a slightly different angle that's not just, how do we win the next Olympics? Thank you. Yeah, that's what we've been going for since we started the podcast, honestly. we When Tara and I met and we started talking about rowing and the rowing community and rowing media, we just felt like there was a different way to approach things. And we love talking about racing and training and moving boats fast, but there are lots of other rowing outlets that do that. So we'd like to get at, you know, the stories behind all of that. Yeah. Plus we're both master's rowers and we're both master's rowing coaches. So we see, I think we see a little bit more of the humanity of the sport. We see people who have babies and lives and careers and cancer and yeah. the whole spectrum of their experience and rowing is really transformational, you know, for, for adult athletes. We also did this because we like to talk about rowing nonstop. Um, so 
we could talk but about it all. Everyone in your life doesn't feel that way. I can't imagine. Yeah, right. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Rachel's my rowing wife, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So actually, one thing we love to ask all of our guests is on a scale of one to 10, how is your rowing week going? Ooh, uh, probably around a six. Lots of travel last week and uh, the holiday last week. And this is a formal transition to the ERG. So yeah, six. Are you doing any specific winter training? Are you doing the Concept 2 Holiday Challenge? What's what's your plan? Well, you inspired me to do the Concept 2 Holiday Challenge. So so now Yay. I'm held to a uh, now I'm being held to a standard. So which is a good thing and I'll be um doing a lot of training with my team. We'll meet either virtually or in person or both and uh I'll, you know what whatever they say do, I'll sit there and do it. Yeah, I love that. Actually, I'm in I'm in that place in my life right now. I've decided I'm not coaching this winter because I don't want to be in charge. So somebody tell me what to do and I'll do it. And with the concept Two holiday challenge, I'm just looking elsewhere for ideas, picking and choosing things. I just went straight to the source today to concept Two. I said, I'll do that workout. (laughs) And that worked for me. I love so, that workout generator because you can keep pushing it and keep getting different workouts that you're like, nope, 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 nope. Yes. Okay. That's, yes. that's good. Right. Well, I'm glad that we were able to motivate you to do the challenge. And we've got a, a few other folks that are doing it along with us and uh, keeping, keeping score, keeping track. And uh, even just having, I, I, I'm a real data nerd. So I put together a uh, spreadsheet to keep track of the workouts throughout the month. And even just having that tiny bit of accountability, I'm like, oh, I have a zero today. So tomorrow I better add some meters. What kind of team are you on that's doing uh, winter erging? Uh, it's a it's a mixed masters team here in Pittsburgh. And we have, we actually have, I can't even count how many masters teams we have now, but we've probably got four or five at least. And so I'm, we're, I'm sort of in the middle of the, in the middle of the curve for frequency and I won't say seriousness because we have folks that row less who are very serious. Mm. So I don't want to conflate how many times a week you row with how much it matters to you and how and, and how invested you are in it. Uh, and that's I think that happens. So mm-hmm. I, I want to avoid that. I think there's definitely some either internally created shaming around um, what your value is, uh, especially as an adult athlete. But my coach uh, back at Conover Rowing Club was always like, you have lives, like you have children, you have jobs, you have lives, like, let's just be realistic. And let's just put our best uh, foot forward. Is there anything um, you love about erging? Oh, (laughs) Oh, um, well, you know, every meter is one meter closer to getting back on the water when you're, you know, in the north northeast. Uh, is there anything I like about it? Um, it's much easier to track heart rate and focus on on being actually where you are trying to be in a training zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's easier for me to focus on when I'm not looking over my shoulder to see which bridge I'm about to hit. Mm. So. <laughs> It's a controlled environment for sure. <laughs> it is indeed a controlled environment, which you I, know it, that's its blessing and its curse, right? I, I heard a, a a piece of advice yesterday. There's something about the three C's: don't complain, uh, don't compare, mm. and it was one other thing. But I know that peeking at other people's monitors in a long line of monitors 
mm-hmm. is is something we're all sort of guilty of. And I worry, you know, people are looking at mine and thinking I'm, you know, slacking or the five strokes that I'm slacking is the time my coach is looking over my shoulder or, you know, at, you have to really build like a, a, a perimeter of forgiveness around your erging. You know, I have friends who would erg in the other room because they just needed, you know, blinders. You know what I do when I'm erging in a, in a team environment? I I really like to wear baseball hats and visors and you know you're kind of in this little space there's something about having that hat on that keeps me focused and looking straight ahead I think it works I've done it for years hey if it works I I, you know raises the question of are rowers constitutionally capable of doing low intensity workouts true I am (laughs) proudly yes and there's a purpose to them right but when you when you line people up yes we'll start getting into you know battle paddle mode and yeah you know and then we get the thing of you know well we're watching you every day so oh that means I have to go flat out every day no it doesn't it means you have to hit the heart rate you're meant to hit and that's success Oh, and that is a whole thing to teach, especially new rowers, that concept of sometimes we work hard, sometimes we work at a paddle, sometimes we're doing drill work and every single stroke doesn't need to be all out, give me everything. That's a really interesting thing to see change in the minds of newer rowers when they start to understand the difference. I I agree. And I, I think it's, I think it's a hard thing to teach masters rowers. Runners can come to that, I think, because they're they're used to you know doing the, that pacing pretty easily. I think, but um, mm-hmm. I think juniors and college also struggle with that, partly because those programs are often so competitive. People don't dare to ease back when actually you want them to. Mm-hmm. So this is tangent, but Tara and I were talking just today about a new world record for a thirty-minute a woman on the Australian national team, 30 mm-hmm. minutes at a 20, 22 stroke rating, pulling a 145 split. 146. 146 average, split. average 146, 30 minutes at a 22. Like all those numbers, like just don't make sense to me. <laughs> like 146 for 30 minutes doesn't make any sense. 146 at a 22 doesn't make any sense. She must have thighs the size of tree trunks. She must be built like a tank. Well, and and so it's the combination of the of, of you know build fitness and head game, right? So all the, all those have to have to come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I hope she's still in one piece after doing it. Yeah, that she could stand up and walk away from the arg. Yeah, she was smiling. She was smiling, but I'll, I'll, I can't I'll imagine she was. But wow, that's quite that's an achievement. Yeah. So, you know, if we've listened to our episodes before, we do something called rapid fire. Rachel, you want to cue it up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to help our listeners get to know our guests, we like putting you in the hot seat for a lightning round of questions we called rapid fire. Are you ready? Oh, yes. Port or starboard? Port. Bow seat or stroke seat? Stroke. Sprint race or head race? Head race. Unisuit or tank and trow? Tank and trow. Favorite coxswain command to give or receive? Uh, To receive, empty the tank. And to give, microsecond hold on the knees. Hmm. 
Hmm. I also like that. All right, moving on to the erg, barefoot or shoes on the erg? Shoes. Calories, watts, or splits on the monitor? Mostly splits, depends. Intervals or steady state? Steady state. Best place to row? Ooh, that's tough. Pittsburgh's a good place to row, but not in the winter. But it's a good home. Which river? Allegheny. Best piece of training or racing advice you've received? Learning the difference between discomfort and pain, and Mm. discomfort being what you don't like but won't hurt you, and pain being you are doing damage. Don't be an idiot. Like you don't like it and it's going to hurt you, as opposed to you don't like it and it won't hurt you. Yeah, more more guts than good sense. Okay, uh, last question. Coffee before or after a row? Uh, tea and before and depending on time of day possibly after as well do you like uh, anything in your tea oh yes milk milk and honey oh, honey's oh. Like, yeah all right well thank you for doing rapid fire um hopefully that was painless and what we want to know now is what was happening in your life when you learned to row and how did you learn to row oh okay i was partway through my junior year in college And uh, I went to Oxford and I was dragooned into rowing for my college. I was a a field hockey player and it took a long time to get me on water because, you know, things moved and it wasn't at all comfortable. In fact, it was quite anxiety producing. So I got I got dragged into a boat and it was a, a huge one of those big old tub pairs that took, you know, 90 people to get down to the water. Uh, And so that felt stable enough. And then they stuck me in the middle of an eight and that felt okay. And then I did the the varsity tryout thing the the following semester when I came back in the fall and and uh, rode that out for the for the rest of the year. And then, of course, you know, you're hooked. So we've talked to some other people who have rode at Oxford, and I think they basically said the same thing, which is you can't make it through your time there without getting in a boat. Is that true? It's it's pretty much true. So for for intramurals, there are literally hundreds. I mean, over a hundred eights on the water each each day for intramurals. So you know, so there'll be the rugby eight who normally play rugby, and they put you know they all get in an eight. It is so not pretty, but there's a lot of power in that boat. I was at a women's college. We didn't have any boats, so we had to go borrow boats and there was no there really wasn't any such thing as a women's boat they didn't exist you know the the boat I rode in for Oxford was uh it was built for guys who are 220 we had an average weight of about 145 yeah so those must have been huge it was enormous and so we're bobbing around on the water you know talk about freeboard we've got about a foot of freeboard yeah you know we had to make extenders for the riggers so we could you know actually (laughs) get some sort of leverage we could manage it was yeah it was pretty interesting and then there was lifting it that was fun so despite equipment being too big and it not really rowing correctly for a squad your size you got hooked well to be brutally honest and and brutal is, is is an intentional term as a field hockey player I was probably more brutal than skilled so you know lots of enthusiasm but you know fine motor yeah uh, so, so when I got in a boat, it was the first time that someone said, that's great. Can you push harder as opposed to 
could you dial that back a bit? You know, please, like, mm. it's just not ladylike. So, yeah, I could be unladylike. It was fabulous. You could just let it rip. It was liberating. I remember that first team meeting for tryouts for, for varsity, and we're all looking at each other. And I'm 5'4", I'm uh, you know, at, at my tallest, 5'4", and nothing. So, you know, you there is no, you, you just have to, Fight, you have to fight every step of the way anyway, but when you're little, you you just have to prove you should be there pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm five, mm-hmm. two and a half. So uh, definitely for several years, I had coaches trying to goad me towards the coxswain seat. Mm-hmm. And I really was stubborn about it. I said, no, thank you. <laughs> I would really like to, I'd prefer to be in bow with an oar in my hand. And I think I mean, if I think back, I'm talking about the mid-70s. There were not many places for women to take that. There were a lot of people that would stand on the bank and tell us how unladylike we were and the fact that we shouldn't be in a boat. And and there was only one guy that would coach the the women's varsity. When did you see that tide start turning? Oh, well, you know, I shifted countries in at the end of the, the mid-80s. So I don't think it had really turned then. I, you know, I remember um, I was at a club in London, which shall remain nameless. Uh, but, you know, on a Saturday morning, which was, you know, busy, we had a lot of men's crews going out. We had a lot of women's crews going out. And at the time, the women's crews were pretty highly competitive and arguably more so than the men. And and the argument was, you wait until the men have taken the equipment they want. We've been here 150 years. We've put the money in. You haven't. When you've been here 150 years, you can ask for equal treatment. So you can take mm. what's left. So that was the mid 80s. And we subversively raised money and opened a bank account with the collusion of one of the other club officers. Uh, and we bought ourselves a women's boat and said, oh, wait, this is ours. Uh, but, but it was the only way to guarantee having a, a, a competitive piece of equipment that you could get into. So that was the mid 80s. And I would say coming here, it was different already. I think it was a, a different feel coming to the US. And um, I would say probably around the mid 90s, starting to see that shift. And in Britain, we'd never had Title IX or anything equivalent. So there had been no um, movement in the same way in, in sport, at least that I was aware of. In those early days, did you have a coach or teammate that really supported you? Ooh, um, yes. You know, people like um, Pauline Rayner, who's a, a, you know, a name in, in women's rowing, who was, you know, probably 25, 30 years older than I am. And she would, you know, I remember sitting behind her in a five, five and a half thousand meter head race and just being like awestruck, like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, this woman is here. She's powerful. And, and, and damn, is she old? <laughs> for, for folks that don't know who she is, can you tell us a little bit about her? So she wrote for, obviously, for many, many years, has been um, an official, has been sort of a bastion of rowing and women's rowing in, in the in the UK, you know, had Lifetime Achievement Awards. I mean, she's just, just a, a sort of rock in the rowing community there. So, so she's mm-hmm. someone that stands out to me. Um, you know, people like Penny Tudor, who's been an international coach for, for many years, started out 
skiffing and I think was seen very recently in the stern of a coastal quad somewhere. So, you know, these these folks have um, have really been role models and, and beacons and, and people who've paved the way, I think, for, for women's rowing. I love those personal heroes, you know, looking back at uh, Ernestine Bayer and some of our, our foremothers, you know, in the women's rowing movement and the coaches that came with them. And I know that when when I think about big boathouses that have made a big splash and like big boathouses that have those kinds of legends and those kinds of legendary status, to me, Three Rivers is one of those boathouses. To me, Three Rivers is a behemoth boathouse. I always imagine it being just this happy factory of uh, lots of programs and lots of people. And, and that really influences, uh, I think some, some clubs I've sent a lot of people to Matt Logue as a way of saying, you know, here, go ask Matt because Matt is managing this, this big boathouse. I have a lot of admiration for three rivers and we've talked to Matt Logue before. How did you end up at three rivers? So I'm on my third or fourth career at this point. And um, I was in London, I was a lawyer and I was coming to the decision that that being a lawyer was not the right home for me from for a lifetime, and and I wasn't quite sure what else to do. But I knew rowing, and I was doing some coaching, so I did more coaching. And I left my law job in London, bought a backpack and a round the world ticket, and left. And one of the places uh, I fetched up, I was traveling with a women's band at the time and they were playing in Pittsburgh and so I came to Pittsburgh and I I saw the you know met a lot of cool people this is 1986 met a lot of cool people and looked around at the rivers and said wow you have this amazing amount of water where do you row and people looked at me and went uh what and so somebody finally introduced me to a woman called Patty Michaud who is still rowing, um, was at the front end of the adaptive rowing uh, in Pittsburgh. And she introduced me to a few other people. We were down on the island where the main boathouse is now. One high school, two colleges, and three rivers. And mm. um, and so, you know, and you slid down the bank, you <laughs> threw the boat in the water, got in two by two. You could just get a four on the dock. So Three Rivers was, uh, yeah, we were located in a tractor trailer. I started coaching Carnegie Mellon um, that started up a program there in 87. Um, and so so I sort of stayed and was pretty deeply involved with some of the first decade or so of, of Three Rivers and, and building those programs. But and the boathouse, which came a few years later, but there was always a um, a real commitment to this being a community first and foremost, and and with all the tensions between folks who thought no, it should just be super competitive, and you know those of us that said no, community, and you know my my college rowing was very much community rowing right you've got the rugby eight you've got you know you've got anyone who wants to get in a boat gets in a boat and races and that's respected whether they go fast or not and then you put out some super fast teams you hope but there's always room for everyone and so for me that's always been a commitment um you know that commitment to athletic inclusivity and and i think we've got better at broadening 
that concept of inclusivity beyond athletic ability. I think Three Rivers has always tried that. And it, it's not been without its ups and downs. Uh, sometimes there's a push in one direction and then a, a pull back in another direction. And not everyone sees the place in the, in the same way. Mm-hmm. And you asked me a, a little while ago, sort of formative relationships early in rowing. I would say the ones I have now are probably the strongest. So, you know, so the women I I row with and, you know, the men on the team that I row with, that I have really deep, enduring friendships and, for, you know, with. Uh, and I think that's part of, and, and some of the folks that I have coached there from time to time. So, yeah, I mean, it's it, it is a place, it's sort of a haven for a lot of people, I think. Breakwater Realty Group, located in Portland, Maine, is defined by integrity, service, and expertise. Breakwater challenges you to create a vision for your life and love where you live. Call the team at 207-712-4041 or visit breakwaterrealtygroup.com. Breakwater Realty Group, the evolution of your real estate experience starts here. Steady State Podcast is made possible with listener support. Become a patron today for early access to episodes, discount on SSN swag, and invitations to patron-only events. Find out more about support levels and benefits at steadystatenetwork.com slash Patreon. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Steady State Network and on Twitter at Steady State Row. Sign up for our e-newsletter and become a patron at steadystatenetwork.com. In two, we're back with Liz Winter. That's one, two. So as as you're making this transition, you know, law and, and when you represent people, you you have to have an element of trust, you know, in that relationship if you represent uh, your client, for instance. And then you moved into a social work type of uh, profession, which again is about relationships and trust. And both of these things I see having a lot in common with rowing coaching, like when you become a coach and also as a rower. I mean, it's a truly interdependent sport. Can you tell us how has all of this sort of come together? And do you feel like you've made sort of a magic mixture now? Oh, what a fabulous question. Um, I, I don't know if I've hit the hit the magic formula, uh, but it certainly feels very integrative. So from law, I think there is this idea of, you know, this a lot of a lot of analysis it's a way of looking at problems and thinking about how to how to find solutions to things um so a, a lot of uh creativity to that if 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 you're in the right area of law and i think for me that that shift to social work is that you know with social work you are required first and foremost to put the person you're working with first and to honor their dignity and self-determination. Uh, and, you know, that's a that's a bit of a shift from law where you're sometimes a, a bit of a hired gun. Um, you know, you're, you're there to win things, which is not quite the same thing. Mm. Uh, but you can see where we're going with this, right? So, um, you know, so in social work, you're, you're there to help facilitate someone else's movement through the world in a, in a, in a way that works better for them. You're not there to do for, you're there to to support. Mm. Um, and, to, and and actually, the another piece of that is you're there to hold hope 
for the person when they're not able to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's put that together with rowing. There's yeah. a lot, all, all of the above, right? And so, I mean, a lot of my social work practice has been around child maltreatment and traumatic stress and the impact that that can have and how do you help someone make that better and find their way to a place that is healthier and better and more hopeful for them because you know really extreme bad experience strips away a lot of that hope and a lot of that sense of future right mm. it's hard to build a future when you're still in the middle of the of the pain and so for for me a lot of the things i've learned from being a, a social worker and a, a therapist and a social work educator um are about recognizing where we can do something that helps and figuring out how to if i can put it this way first do no harm mm-hmm. and 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 so a lot of the things that i have heard over the years in coaching and not just in rowing but in other areas um, that involve demeaning or belittling i mean to my mind there is no place for that that is not about dignity and respect you know i don't think anyone comes into coaching wanting to do harm i don't believe that for one second but i think we bring in what a lot of what was done with us if that's what you know so i mean you you talked about trust what simple example of that you go out to do four pieces the coach looks at you looks at the crews at the end and says yeah they weren't great let's do five we're, we're <laughs> going to do another one you've just lost my trust mm-hmm. you've just lost me Mm-hmm. because you clearly don't trust me to do everything I can do in those four pieces. You've just demeaned what we've done in those four pieces. And now you've moved the goalposts. And people think of it as training mental toughness or it's great water and they just cannot resist trying to get another 10 minutes out on yes. the water. But what you've done, what you don't realize you've done is you've just lost your credibility and your trust. And you've taken advantage of your position. Right. Yeah. And often it's it's seen as self-serving. You know, you think that coach is not here for me, that coach is here for themselves. It's coaches who don't look at body language. It's coaches who, you know, can't see that, you know, like three seat is crying and needs to like stop. And like, I talked to a chiropractor one time about why do you have so many rowers coming in here? And he said, because mm-hmm. rowing is about a culture of suffering beyond what's comfortable. And like you equated earlier, um, discomfort with with what being damage being done, you know, it is a culture of pushing, of pushing beyond um, what you might think is possible. But uh, I love that you equated the trust with things like be consistent, have integrity, mm-hmm. um, be transparent. One of the things I love to do with Learn to Row students is circle back. Don't just tell them to do a drill. Tell them why they're doing the drill. And then circle back and say, see, didn't you see an improvement here? Or I saw an improvement here because mm-hmm. adult learners, you know, often bring a lot of that trauma with them. And then you see people who have very high expectations of themselves. Rowers tend to be very high, uh, high level learners. So I really appreciate you putting that into perspective for us. Well, I, you know, and I, I have to wonder how many people we lose because we haven't given them the time 
to figure out the, the feeling of how this needs to happen. And the more stress and toxic stress history somebody brings with them, the more it's embodied in them, right? And that can get in the way of people learning. And so they're slower to learn. It doesn't mean they're not going to get there, but their trajectory is going to be different. And you have to wonder how many people um, have, even if they weren't cut, it might have been made pretty clear to them that they weren't making it and mm -hmm. that there wasn't time. And, you know, in our high school and our college horizons, are they're very close. They're very short. I mean, for me, rowing's the long game. It's lifelong. Mm -hmm. It's how do you increase the health span, right? How do you increase the quality of your of your life for as long as possible and do something that hopefully you love? And if we don't have room for people who take a little longer, um, you know, the, it, let's take a simple example. You've grown up in a household that was perhaps not always particularly happy and that it's been very dangerous for you. Uh, emotionally or possibly physically to look someone in the eye, to stand up to your full height and look someone in the eye. And you have probably embodied a posture which keeps your head down and makes you not look threatening. Well, mm -hmm. sit up at the catch, sit up at the catch, sit up at the catch, right? You know, that person just hasn't built that body positioning. And it's actually kind of scary to go into that body positioning. Mm -hmm. And so learning to do do that is going to take longer and be more challenging for that person and do we just have them go away because we didn't get it that it took longer i am such a huge fan of talking about the physicality of learn to row because we we look at them all the time in their little dorsal vagal response and they're all curled over like this they're trying to protect their vital organs right they're just like oh my god i don't want to so some of the things i would say to them is i want you to be brave i want you to be brave i'm like think big think brave and then i had this whole shtick where i would say telenovela do you know what a telenovela is it's like a high high drama spanish soap opera spanish-speaking soap opera like so make everything bigger I was, and I would just yell from the launch boat, telenovela, and they would just be like, da da, you know, and I was <laughs> like, just, just affect, you know, this big, brave, bold, like, even if you think it's too big, it's not going to be too big. And even that, I mean, to, to pair that with what Liz was saying about the, mm -hmm. is you have to find that within yourself you have to find that confidence and right. you and I, all three of us are there like we can do it we can get in a boat and we can be big and confident and project confidence but that's not everybody and especially folks who are newer to rowing or maybe folks who haven't been <clears throat> rowing for a very long time at a highly competitive level mm -hmm. uh, who are seeking the approval of their coaches and teammates how do you break out of a shell and this is a whole other conversation we could we have talked to so many rowers who say that they are introverted, right? Mm -hmm. We as introverts like to row because we don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> but right. how do you break out of that introvert shell and find that confidence in the boat? Right. Ooh, and do you need to break out of being introverted right. to be confident, right? Ooh, right. It, no. Maybe it no. looks different. Yeah. No, yeah. actually. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I, I process in the space between people, but a lot yeah. of people don't. Well, you yeah. know, their processing uh -huh. is just as just as powerful. So are we expecting people to be like us sometimes? Mm. 
there's always the famous sort of um, dynamic between an adult and a, and their coach. They may have never even had a coach before. It's one of the first questions I'll ask people is, have you ever had a coach before? How many of you are CEOs in your own life every day? Like, you know, this, there's going to be a shift here in the dynamic and that might not feel safe to you and that might not feel okay to you. And I think that it sounds like all three of us sort of have this atypical approach. And I wanted to sort of acknowledge that that has not been the case in rowing coaching um, largely uh, I think in part because the collegiate level coaching is so intense and the high school coaching has been so intense over the years and building and building. And so many of our rowing coaches are hired out of those programs. As a, my my feeling of the last few years is find some great adults who don't row as much anymore and teach them to be coaches because they're if they're great communicators and great people. I even feel like what Dave Harvey is doing at Tacoma Rowing is brilliant. He's taking people who are in a fitness and wellness profession who aren't rowers and teaching them rowing. Mm -hmm. And so he's going to this non-traditional audience. Um, I know I've had the experience of bringing in a young coach who came out of a collegiate program and you kind of have to, you know, dial them back a bit because it's like their grandma is essentially who they're coaching. Um, And they don't have, they're just like, 50 push-ups, you know, like doing, you know, master's rowers to do 50 push-ups and they don't know enough to say, I'm not okay with that. So that feeling of being able to be up and brave and up at the catch also applies to that doesn't work for me. That style of communication doesn't work for me. Advocacy for themselves. I've seen rowers leave the boathouse in silence and then you can't ever get them back because you don't know what happened. You don't know what got triggered. You know, if you don't build that two-way trust and that communication, um, that's how you build big boathouses. That's how you build big programs. You know, there are a couple of things going through my mind as you're talking. And um, one is that I think we start coaching, well, sweeping generalizations, but I, I think there's a tendency to coach from the outside in. This is what I want it to look like right? In in my mind, this is what I want to see. And when you tell people where to put their body, you're not telling them how to put their body. You're coaching from the outside in. And I think sometimes it is more effective to coach from the inside out mm-hmm. and to do some of those exercises on land where you give someone some resistance so that they can feel their low abs, so they can feel different parts of the body engage. And and so when we teach the feeling of what it's meant to be, um, that interoceptive sense, a proprioceptive sense of, you know, where bits of my body are meant to be at particular times, rather than your left hand needs to be a little higher, <laughs> which is it's like, yeah, that's nice. I have no idea how to do that. How or, or why, or, right? Oh, yeah. Or right. why, right? Because so sometimes I think if we coach as much from the inside out as the outside in, then I personally, I, I, I find that helpful. You mm-hmm. know, what's it meant to feel like? So you just completed your U.S. Rowing Level 3 coaching certification. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I did. A few months awesome. ago. Congratulations. Thank you. I don't think many folks realize just how intensive it is. Levels one and two, you know, you go to a couple of sessions, you take a test, you have a little bit of follow-up, but this is really several hours of training and and follow-up. And is there a large project that you have to do over the course? 
there there are multiple projects that you do over the course. So mm-hmm. it, it's a huge amount of information. Um, and a lot of, I mean, I have to say a lot of which I will probably go back to because I know I haven't integrated all of that because it's an enormous amount. Uh, and I think for for my cohort, we did it in a shorter time than usual. So there wasn't as much time to for stuff to sink in. But there are multiple projects that, that cover rigging, that cover um, boathouse policies and procedures, that cover safety, that cover, I mean, there are a lot, you know, um, a lot of things, videoing of, of your coaching. Um, are you currently of, coaching at Three Rivers? Um, I, at the moment, I'm, I'm not coaching a team, but I, but I do individual private coaching. Mm, So usually one or, you know, a couple of scholars as individuals or, you know, small Mm -hmm. groups of scholars at the moment. Mm -hmm. And, and at the moment we're working. Coming from a master's perspective, I would, we all have uh, different ideas about the level three coaching and like whether we should get it. and, And who do you think that that program is really the best fit for, um, if someone's thinking about that, or maybe even like the CRI IRL leadership program that they have, or, you know, doing some sort of ex- extensive coaching education. Do you think that's where we need to be in our world and in the master's world? Level three is, you know, it's the high performance coaching. So it's really tracked towards high performing in terms of the of athletes, high performing athletes. I Mm. went into it with a slightly different perspective, which is I see high performance as being as much about the coach as about the athlete. Mm. So I don't think there's anyone in any program that doesn't deserve high performance coaching. Mm. So Mm -hmm. it's very different to take a recruited college group of athletes and and teach them because you know they're already you've got the tails of the curve as a closer together there's more homogeneity within that group very very different to do that and it's a different skill set to take people who are on a you know much more broadly distributed curve where you've got folks who maybe could step into one of those college programs and, and people who would never in a million years be in one of those programs and you're teaching both of them to row sometimes at the same time that takes a lot of skill it takes a lot of skill to adapt the drills that you would do for a high performance crew and to adapt those in such a way that they are meaningful and useful for everyone in terms of their growth as an athlete Mm. then people say well you know they just can't do as much it's like no, how do you adapt yourself as a coach to do as much for this athlete as you can do for this athlete? You flip it that way. Does level three make sense? Absolutely. One thing that Tara and I are really interested in is looking at coaching from a broad perspective and understanding that a lot of coaches at a lot of levels, especially at the master's level, are folks that maybe actually don't have a whole lot of coaching training at all. A lot of people are handed the keys to a launch and basically shoved off the dock and (laughs) and you go. So I personally am one of these coaches who I've got my level one, my level two, and that I'm always looking for more bits of information, whether that's committing to a longer term class or course, or just finding some interesting article. 
we know that you've put a lot of different pieces together to be where you are today as a coach. And one thing that you've been involved with is team-based learning. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how that works out of a classroom situation and in a boathouse situation? So team-based learning is, you know, it came out of the classroom. It's a highly structured, sequenced piece of learning, but it's it's designed to be active learning. So you don't just talk to people and tell them what they need to know, and they go away and try and figure out what that means. It's that you solve problems in the space with other people, with your colleagues, with other learners or students or athletes. I and a colleague that I've been working with on this for the last couple of years, Carol Sharnaker, who's currently at Rochester, was with Robert Morris in uh, in Pittsburgh until this last year. And we've been privileged to do some work with coaches where we've been able to follow this model. You know, it really parallels, it parallels the rowing process very nicely uh, because, you know, people, people learn information, uh, you quiz them on that information, and then that information is then used to solve real world problems. So you use case studies of this is what's happening on your team. Which of these four options is your best option and why? And so it makes it a much more active. It's not a passive learning model in the same way that, you know, being a rower is not a passive learning model. You have to do it. You have to make sense of it. Um, But what it does is it gives coaches and athletes uh, an opportunity to sort of hash out, well, you know, you can't, you've got to treat everyone the same because, you know, if you don't treat them the same, it's not a team, but if you treat them the same, it's actually treating people the same is equal, but maybe not equitable. And how do you get everyone to the finish line in the same boat at the same time? So, but but it's a very nice model that structures learning. And I've um, been able to use that a lot in workforce development in child welfare in Pennsylvania, where we adopted it as the as the model for training the workforce. Um, and it, it moves out of the classroom very nicely. But bottom line, like rowing, it's very active and it's active and making use of and leveraging the strengths of the people in the teams. Have you seen when you've merged all your worlds together and, you know, I know you have your confidences with your clients and your athletes that you work with, but can you give us maybe an example where you really feel like you earned someone's trust when you maybe didn't think it was, it was possible, or maybe a situation where you you sort of broke through using all of the skills that you've brought up to this day in a, in a rowing environment? There is an example that comes to mind and I'll I'll give that in a moment, but but I'll also say that I think you don't always know when you've done that because you don't know if someone stayed who -hmm. otherwise might leave. You don't necessarily ever find that out. And maybe you don't need to, you don't need to know, they need to know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, I'm just thinking of of one example of somebody who had, um, they had long rowing history. They had had several life events that were deeply distressing and each time they got out on the water, they ended up having a panic attack. And I think that anxiety comes to many of us in a teeny tiny boat on top of cold water, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but this was more than a couple of deep breaths. And I have obviously have an advantage having coming from a, a clinical background that I had a sense of what I was looking at. And so, you know, what we worked through was this very short protocol of, 
you know, how to breathe, a sequence of tensing and relaxing things on the water, and then a very gentle progression into a full stroke. And the bottom line is when you've got someone who's anxious in that way, you make the steps, um, you make them shorter, right? There. So it's not such a big step up. They're not such big increments. You make the incremental challenge smaller and you make it over longer time mm -hmm. and you build success. And if there's any point at which that person hits a wall, you back it up and you start over. And it doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter. It takes the time it takes. You know, it, it's that autonomic arousal needs to sort of shut up and sit down a bit. Mm. Um, and, you know, for many people, it's sort of the victory of the forebrain over the hindbrain. Um, but sometimes that hindbrain takes a lot of comforting. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that felt very meaningful to me. Sounds like it. I, I know that it's always important for all of us as coaches to remember that our athletes, our rowers, no matter how you approach coaching, need to leave the boathouse having learned something, accomplished something, feeling proud of something, um, being challenged by something. And not only is that a financial bottom line issue, like you need them to come back, you need them to pay their membership fees, you need them to recruit friends, but also that makes for better rowers. And so I'm a big believer in the like post row huddle, the open door policy as a coach, the circling back, like here's what we learned and why, and here's how this affects you. And this is why this makes you stronger or why that won't make you stronger. Uh, so I think all coaches could do it to some degree, you know, we don't not need to all be social workers or need to have done a lot of training, but Rachel and I are always interested in what we call the whole athlete approach. Um, you know, know your athletes, know what's going on in their personal lives as much as, as is reasonable. Um, you know, know that they're moving or they're getting married or they're, you know, things are happening. Um, and then in more extreme cases, like what you're talking about, um, Myself, having worked in the adaptive sphere, sphere a lot, you see the PTSD play out. And that's like the most extreme example of what you're talking about, where you see someone freeze up and lose coordination. And that's happened a, a number of times in my learn to row experiences. And you have no warning that that's going to happen. But if you know what you're looking at, if you know what you're seeing, you're seeing someone freeze up, you're seeing them lose coordination, you see them not able to hear you, you see all these things happen. That's like way over there at that end of the spectrum. And so it's, I think Rachel and I are always very interested in there being some bank of information that coaches could pull from if they have these kinds of things happen. And so podcasts like this, episodes like this, this is something that we would put out into the world and say, you know, not every rower is the same. And you may come across um, some situations that you, you may not feel like you have time for, but here's how to make time. I certainly came across cases several years ago. I mean, every season there's a, there's a rower who brings something to me that I've never had to deal with before. Mm -hmm. And I do remember one or two very distinct cases of rowers with anxiety and me mm -hmm. saying like, what the hell do I know about this? Nothing. Like I really didn't know how to handle it. So I just tried to be the best person that I could be the best coach that I could be tried to give them a little bit of space and time this is something that I would really love to look into and talk with you pretty in depth about Liz is like how you handle not just a rower who has anxiety or PTSD in a single, but in a big team boat. Right. Mm -hmm. And that the whole team needs to understand what's going on and be supportive because mm -hmm. you can't have one person in the boat 
who's struggling and everybody else being like, for God, just do it already. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> no, but that's also boathouse culture. Like yeah. if you have a boathouse culture of like, screw you, we're like, yeah. getting done. you know, rather than rising tide lifts all boats. I mean, you know, singling people out for um, unpleasant treatment is, is um, it, 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 above all else, be kind, right? I mean, you, right. you can, you can lead with authority and be kind. And it doesn't cost you. And now, do we all, are we all enough in control of our own, you know, our own reactions to, to be there all the time? Maybe not. But, you know, what do you model? You, you, you I'm, I was short with you. I'm so sorry. Right. Mm-hmm. Model what you want to see from people. And that, that, that doesn't guarantee good behavior. We know that. But if you don't do it, you're modeling not good behavior. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so and sometimes you have to go back and, you know, if if I've got, you know, four boats out there and a barge and, you know, and it's getting dark and I it, no, that's not fun. I can get a little short because I'm because I'm anxious. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But I but I need to say something about that. Uh, but, yes, I agree with you. Rising tide floats all boats. How do we hold more people in the sport and not inadvertently haze them out? Um, that's that's a big thing. And now you said something about, I mean, we could talk about this for days. I mean, yeah. we absolutely could. But you said something about people need to know. And it's like, but they only need to know so much mm-hmm. because sometimes that changes how they view a person. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's that person's private business and they do not need to... And if, you know, if we all understand that all of us could be challenged in that way at some point and mm-hmm. will be, and have some compassion for the person that's in that place right now, right. that's the bit you need to know. You don't need to know the rest. I mean, or the team doesn't need to know the rest. Yeah. And, and sometimes you need to stop someone telling you more. And it's like, this doesn't belong with me. Right. Right. I've had that happen before. People have sat down with me after practice and been like, I'm the whole reason the boat is off. And here's why my house burnt down and I'm getting divorced. And I'm, you know, all these things. And I'm like, okay. So, but I think uh, overall, if a coach has a, a compassionate approach and a whole athlete approach, you're at least acknowledging the fact that people have rich lives and people have had rich pasts and you don't need to know anything else. You can just treat people at, as such. As um, people? Yeah. Yeah. Radical. Yeah, radical. Well, we wanted to wrap up with asking you about Puerto Rico. So tell us, what is this? How did this start? What is this going on with Puerto Rico? What is this, what is this insanity? So, so this is <laughs> this is um, oh, this is a passion project. So I recently retired from the University of Pittsburgh, so I don't need to be physically located in Pittsburgh. And so my partner and I started thinking about where else might we like to be. And we had been to Puerto Rico and I started talking to the Federation, the Rowing Federation down there. And their goal is to increase rowing on the island. And we, we have loved it there. And the, the western side of the island is absolutely beautiful. Huge bay. Water temperature averages in the low 80s. Ooh. Can you imagine? Um, pr- the water's pretty flat. It's a fair amount of wind, but you know, so just a, a gorgeous, beautiful place to get some rowing started. And so we are going to be heading down there early in 2023. This is this is a tiny spark 
of an idea, but working working with the Rowing Federation there, trying to get put some boats down there, and um, looking to start some a community type program there, uh, and also perhaps to to welcome some old and new rowing friends who uh, would like to row somewhere absolutely fabulously beautiful. You can oh, start, rowing camp, yes. You you can stop and go pick up a starfish if you would like. I mean, it's I just <laughs> unbelievably beautiful. Yeah. Wow. So so that's the passion project to develop more rowing. You know, it's an area that that just doesn't have that, obviously, um, and something that we you know. It's just in in my heart to do it. And a lot of people out there that seem to think that's a good idea. And it's not something I'm going to do alone. That's for darn sure. So I'm sort of calling on people, people I know and people who've expressed an interest. And hopefully we can put something together. This sounds like a really awesome opportunity, not just for flat water rowing, but possibly some coastal rowing. This this will this will be coastal about which I am learning a great deal and don't know what I don't know yet. But you know, I yeah. figure if I've done the other kind for a long time, um, you know, I'm in with, I'm in with the chance and we'll we'll take baby steps myself in in learning this. I'm we're negotiating for places to put the boats. We're trying to figure out how to get them down there. I'm planning on buying a few of the um, the glide boats. Are you oh yeah, his mm-hmm. boat? yeah. So um, I think as long as they don't melt in the heat, I think those are a cost-effective coastal single. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I was hoping they would do another coastal clinic, but, um, but you know, I'm, I'm just sort of inhaling all the stuff I can find on the web and, yeah. and, and being grateful that the place that I'm going to does not have huge breakers. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. could almost flat water row that bay. I mean, yeah. in the morning, you could absolutely take out a fine single on that thing. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And it's, well, it's, it's like 5K across. <laughs> it's nice. Huge. Nice. Wow. Yeah. yeah well, very, it very sounds good. like you're in a, it sounds like you're in a good place to get it started and um, start small, you know, start yeah. small and right. you'll do great. That's, that's the plan. And, and, you know, I'm 65, so I'm, I'm trying to, you know, you know, I figure out how much energy I've got, but so I want something that can keep rolling without me within five years, right? Mm. Like someone else there who knows what they're doing will pick it up, maybe a few someones. Um, so that's that's the plan is not just to sort of build something and be like, yes, I have this thing. It's <laughs> here's this thing and you take it. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. take it forward, take it forward. So it's sustainability. That's what I'm, and I don't care how little it is as long as it can keep moving. I would encourage you to connect with John Huppy and Hannah Huppy in uh, in New Orleans. We have done a few episodes actually on coastal rowing. And what's interesting about the New Orleans program is that they actually, depending on the forecast, they will do coastal rowing or flat water. Like they go to two different bodies of water. I will learn everything I can learn from folks who are out there because there's there's no need to reinvent the wheel on this. And we actually have an episode called how to starting your own rowing club that's got like uh, it's all about lots of spreadsheets and so we talked to a lot of founders of clubs yeah. about what the, what went into founding their clubs and some who have a boathouse some who have a chain link fence some who car top some who you know do the whole gamut well congratulations that's it's really wonderful to see um that's a big leap you know a big leap of faith based on a very big love for the sport you know which you've it's been in your life for a long time 
I've seemed to do those leaps roughly every 30 years. So this is really <laughs> time for this one. Yeah. And and put me on your mailing list. I would love to be um, camper number one in Puerto oh, Rico. <laughs> there we go. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Rachel and I have a long international media tour yeah. list itinerary. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we would love to add Puerto Rico to that list and come broadcast live from, from Puerto Rico. Oh, you would be so welcome. That would be fabulous. <laughs> Thank you. Well, this was really wonderful. Thank you so much for taking some of your day to talk with us. We never know what we're going to get with a conversation with folks. And this was really uh, lovely and really inspirational and educational. And um, we should let folks know, Tara, that Liz is going to be on the show again soon to talk more in depth about some of these issues. That'll be coming out in, in another couple of months. Yeah, we're just going to be partnering Liz with, from her skills in the social work sphere and the trauma-informed coaching sphere with a couple of other coaches who have a lot of experience in that area and really love how it interrelates with rowing and how rowing can both be a healing place and a place to put all of that into place and uh, into practice. Well, this has been fabulous. Thank you so much. And I look forward to talking with you again and, and with other folks around, you know, trauma-informed coaching and rowing. So thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great afternoon. You too. All right. We'll talk with you soon, Liz. I hope so. To see photos of Liz and get links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. Catch new episodes of Steady State Podcast every other Sunday. Coming up next time, we talk with Catherine Sorella, a coach at Community Rowing Inc. in Boston, who put together her dream team for the 2022 Head of the Charles, an octogenarian eight. The team was made up of an Olympic gold medalist and several masters rowers. All told, the crew had 720 years of experience in the boat. We'll talk with members of this special crew about lifelong fitness, learning to row later in life, and just how much fun they had together on the Charles. Listen to more episodes about everything from indoor rowing to rowing across oceans. Search the podcast archive at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast topics or listen on your favorite podcast app. We're interested in your story. If you've got something to share or want to nominate someone to appear on the show, drop us a note at submissions at steadystatenetwork.com. Hey, Tara, I think some listeners might not know that Steady State is more than a podcast. Yeah, we should definitely tell them about Friday mornings when we get together for coffee chat. We talk about rowing, racing, and technique, and then we deep dive into things like inclusion and leadership. Yeah, and we hope you'll join us Friday mornings at 8 a.m. West, 11 East, live on Instagram. Grab your favorite mug and be a part of the conversation. And we know everybody sometimes needs buddies to help them get through long pieces on the erg. So we lead Steady State Sundays once a month at 6.45 a.m. West, 9.45 a.m. East. When folks register for the 60-minute virtual erg workout, we'll provide cues and insights to keep them motivated along the way. Join us December 18th and rack up some meters for the C2 Holiday Challenge. You can register at steadystatenetwork.com slash Sunday. Steady State Podcast is brought to you by me, Tara Morgan. And me, Rachel Friedman. Between us, we have nearly 40 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experience, and we run successful rowing-related enterprises. 
Tara is the founder of Seize the Oar Foundation, which champions inclusion in the sport of rowing through team training, outreach, and thought leadership. And Rachel is the founder of RowSource, designing unique rowing gear for individuals, clubs, and events. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Seize the Oar and RowSource. Steady State Podcast is a production of Steady State Network. This episode was written, produced, and edited by Tara and Rachel. Rachel also manages our website and social media. Our theme music is by the Free Harmonic Orchestra. In two, way enough. That's one, two, way enough. have some fun eh yes (laughs) (laughs) let's do this thing let's do this little lady (laughs) okay (laughs) dang i love that off the record (laughs) we yeah i'm like totally off the record (laughs) y'all we we know better don't don't be dating girls in the boathouse Mm -mm. Mm -mm. early on you know when you when you asked the question i was like Oh, rabbit in headlights. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we don't need to air all that dirty laundry.